Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Today, we got a fun, actually, interview with Anthony Gordon. Anthony, I met a few weeks back. Incredible man. He came from South Africa. He actually manages, does asset management and, and financial planning for famous celebrities, athletes around the world. He'll go through a number of the celebrities he's worked with and also a very impressive human. Uh, he's a, a rabbi and has done a lot of things political and online with his show and all sorts of stuff. Incredible interview, incredible man. I hope you guys enjoy. Should be fun. I've spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious fund managers around. And now I've decided to take the plunge and start my own fund. The real question is, how will I do it with no investors and without an Ivy League degree? This podcast is going to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we start and build multi-million dollar investment funds. I'm Bridger Pennington, and this is Investment Fund Secrets. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we got with us Anthony Gordon. Anthony's got 25 years of experience in working with high net worth individuals, family offices. He's a graduate from Harvard Business School, which we're going to talk about in a minute. We, you know, we're the anti-Harvard crew over here, but we've uh, got it. Here. <laughs> um, worked with a numerous funds, launched his own funds, um, has done all sorts of stuff for famous athletes, celebrities, helped manage their money, has done a lot of great things with uh, Israel and uh, all sorts of groups. We're going to dive into a lot of different topics today. With all that being said, though, Anthony, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Bridger, it's a great honor and a pleasure and I think I'm going to hire you as my PR agent after that intro. <laughs> well, you need some help too with this outfit. I mean, you got what? You got a football jersey on or something. I didn't... <laughs> so Anthony, so, welcome on. I want to ask you first off, I know you do a lot of stuff. You travel, you, you talk about money, you talk about politics, you, you help people in all ways, shape, and form. I want to ask you though about the current state of America and where we are politically, but also financially, right? We've had an enormous amount of money printing. We've had an, uh, markets that just don't make sense right now. I'd love to get yeah. your thoughts and start diving into the current state of America and where you think we'll be in the next year, 18 months, 24 months. Okay, so uh, an outstanding question. I'm going to come at that. I'm going to respond, I think, um, in, we'll keep the, the business side uh, as one response, but I want to give a macro uh, response as someone, as you well said, Bridger, that um, speaks to a ton of folks on the public speaking circuit, has my own podcast, um, interfaces with, you know, I think a, a broad spectrum of folks. I, I think it would be safe to say that I, that I, uh, I've got a, some sort of my thing on the pulse. Here's what my sense is. People have lost tremendous trust. There's been a lot of things <clears throat> that, have said, that have been said <clears throat> that haven't been honored. Um, there's, there've been bait and switches and what I'm seeing as we hopefully come to the end of this pandemic, um, with a, you know, a very volatile transition in the political spectrum is that people want real, want authenticity, want transparency, and, uh, they, they, they really want people to play their, their cards face up because I think that a lot of people feel duped. People have. Uh, exercised their vote for folks that once stay in office, then flip-flop. Um, and hold on to that thought because it's going to be relevant to a few things that I'd like to share with your listeners when it comes to raising capital uh, and when it comes to telling the story. Uh, the, one, the one word that I'm going to strongly recommend that your listeners, at least in their head, take out of their vernacular is the word pitch. 
a pitch book pitch because no one wants to be sold. The idea of being sold is the antithesis of I have a need or I have pain points or I have some capital. I'd like to get the best return on my capital. Don't, don't, and that tells back to my, my comments about trust. Um, so that's the macro socio. So we've lost uh, sort of the trust socio in, in every way, right? We've lost yep. trust in, in politics and financial things and, and everything. So where do we go from here? Do you just think the people that are most transparent that are playing the cards face up will, will win going forward? So I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. That's number one. Number two, I think that there unfortunately is a whole subculture where people are dead scared to say what they really feel and and articulate uh you know you know what they what they're feeling why because we've got a cancel culture um we've got unfortunately a lot of folks out there that if you have a difference of opinion to me it doesn't mean bridger you have a different view it means you're evil you're bad and I have to neutralize you. So people are, because people start are self-censoring, what I, I think just a few thoughts, if I may, to emerging managers and how this dovetails into emerging managers uh, is, is the following. I think every single one of your listeners should go through the following exercise, and I believe it's germane to your question. They should ask themselves the four Ws. What, what, why, why, what, the first what is, what is my alpha? What is my value proposition? That's your, literally your 90 second elevator premise. We live in the Ritalin ADHD generation. It has to be literally two minutes. What's my value proposition? Number two, the next W is what is my differential? What's my beta? So alpha, beta, how do I differentiate from the hundreds of other either emerging managers or other people knocking on high net with people's doors and saying, I'd like a piece of your discretionary capital. And it has to be a very clear <clears throat> differentiator. Don't speak in euphemisms. Don't try and be all things to all people. The third W is, uh, is why, why me? Meaning there has to be something unique about Bridger Pennington uh, that is attractive enough to differentiate you from other folks. And the fourth, the fourth W is why now? Now, it doesn't necessarily mean we all know you can't time the market, but there's something unique uh, about what's going on today where you said it very well. <clears throat> there's trends. Um, there's, you know, people, what was, what was accepted 10 years ago is passe today. So people... There's, there's no question that there's something about the moving goalpost. So again, I think those are the four W's that every one of your listeners should ask themselves. Um, and then the use go, go ahead. A, I won't use the word pitch, but <laughs> when you're presenting <laughs> an offering, uh, and those are, those are astute, and especially coming from you. I mean, you've worked with a lot of high, you know, which I want to get into in a minute, a lot of yep. high network individuals, a lot of celebrities, a lot of yep. exclusive people that are yep. hard to get in contact with from someone like right. me. Um, I'm yep. guessing that's a good way to, to go about presenting things to them. Is that right? That, that, that is, firstly, that's, they, 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 most of the folks that I've over the last 15, 20 years are, you know, as you well said, certainly some of the most high, perf, high profile personalities in, in sport, 
entertainment, and in, in, in some of the wealthiest families in the world. They've heard everything. Their eyes are going to roll back. If you show up, you're quick, um, and don't be scared of silence. You know, if you if, if there's something about I have to keep rambling because if there's silence, you know, it, it means that I don't know my stuff. I think that the, there's one other very, there's two other very, very important points that I want your listeners to hear that I'm, I'm, I'm not sure they've heard up until now. And that is the most important thing with it when it comes to raising money, when it comes to relationships, is the first thing you need to focus on is to make a relationship capital deposit. Mm. So many people walk into a room and the first thing is, did you close? Did, forget, forget making the withdrawal. You need to basically, the person with whom you're meeting has to leave the, the meeting or the room and say, this guy's added value and it can be completely out of the box. And, that, and that's, that's where I think people's peripheral vision and EQ needs to be highly tuned. When you walk into the guy's office and you see out of your, the corner of your eye uh, that he's a Lakers fan and there's some way uh, that you can give him some Lakers paraphernalia, you can make an introduction, you've done something that no one else is going to focus on. So firstly, think of if you make enough withdrawals, the, depo the, the, the uh, deposits, the withdrawal will, will, will uh, take care of itself. And the other thing is, and this is very tough, I think, for the millennial generation, is be a lot more interested than interesting. Listen, mm -hmm. listen. And that takes away the pitch. Because at the end of the day, if you really understand what people's intestinal fortitude is, what's their risk tolerance, you know, what bad experiences they've had before, the chances are it's going to change the way you present your fund. And the chances are you'll find the connectivity between your value proposition or your investment thesis uh, and the person that you're meeting. That's, that's, I think, very valuable advice. And I've, I've heard that from multiple people. And it's, it's funny to hear it uh, for me. And I, I think it's new to the show, though, as well of making plenty of deposits socially. And just when you're interacting with people and making connections and building that people buy from people they know, like, and trust the oldest sales technique in the world. Right. And uh, you can't just walk in and, and pitch somebody. So I want to ask you further on, and by the way, who are some of the, if you, if you don't, if you can share, who are some of the people you've worked with and represent? I know the list is pretty expansive, right? I mean, I, I can tell you the ones that are public knowledge, if you, you know, which are, are, are sort of out there. Um, I, I believe my very first case out of Harvard Law School uh, was Janet Jackson. Who, Janet wanted to do an African-American version of a story is born. And through my relationship with Janet, more specifically, um, the person who was representing the late Michael Jackson uh, at the time, a guy by the name of John Branca, I uh, really got an inside scoop into some of the top names in the entertainment industry. And I'll come back to what I learned from that. Um, I was very close to MC Hammer. I mean, this was probably way before your time. I represented Manny Pacquiao uh, for several years, mainly on branding, uh, sponsorship, uh, work with um, uh, you know, a number of uh, NBA and NFL guys. Um, I developed a value proposition to help athletes make a seamless transition from the court of the field into the business world. Um, I was very close to forging a partnership with Derek Fisher before Derek got a, uh, a call from the Knicks. Um, just, I guess, the public knowledge families or folks that uh, are sort of um, are, are out there is the Tish family. The late Larry Tish was a seminal moment in my life. 
Um, he became somewhat of a mentor, opened tremendous doors uh, in the entertainment industry. Um, and then <clears throat> I went back to Harvard Business School to a specific executive program. Uh, I sat next to, uh, to Kevin Love. Um, and just it's just what I realized being around a lot of big people is the following, which is, I think, counterintuitive. They are super hyper-vigilant that they're about to be hit up or about to be pitched. I mean, that's their demeanor. Mm. So if you approach people like this, and I think it's also germane to folks that have a lot of discretionary capital, and firstly, engage them in, in things that are as non-salesy as possible. Two, stay away from boasting, dropping names. That's really going to smack you know, of the red flags. And there's nothing wrong. In fact, I found in my, in my life experience, it, it actually bodes well to talk about your own vulnerabilities, your own mistakes, because a lot of these folks don't get a chance to mentor or to share a lot of their raw emotions because they have to be these stoic, perfect people. And, you know, having, as you well said at the, in, in the opening comment, Bridget, having been around this sort of maybe subculture of folks for close to, you know, three decades, they've all had setbacks. They've all made mistakes and they're all human beings. And that's, and that's what I think people really connect and resonate with real authenticity. Uh, and, you know, none of those platitudes and, and sort of uh, uh, names dropping kind of stuff. Hmm. So, and, and I'm guessing too, they'll, they'll just see through that very quickly. Sure. Right. So if you, Absolutely. if you, so what would be your advice if I was to, you know, if I, somehow had an in with some celebrity or somewhere, what would be your, uh, your advice to, to build a relationship and network and, and meet that person and get in? What is it back to what you said before to just make more deposits than, than withdrawals? Anything in addition to that? Yeah. So I, I, this is, this is genuine. I mean, I hope this doesn't come across as contrived because this is the way I've sort of developed relationship and it's sincere and it's worked very well for me enough. There's a lot of psychological uh, sort of material on this. And that is, you know, when you meet someone, Often I say this and it's genuine. Can I get your thoughts on advice on something? Hmm. So what happens, their, their whole demeanor changes. This guy is not about to hit me up. And people love it when someone really places a premium on the benefit of their thoughts. And it's a hmm. genuine thing. You know, Mr. X, I was involved in this situation. You know, I found out afterwards that, you know, my partner, he sort of overpromised. How would you handle it? Hmm. People love it when you tap into uh, a part of them that no one, it's interesting, no one takes a lot of the big, pro, the high profile athletes, or, no one takes their life experience and the intellect uh, seriously. So seek advice. Um, the other thing that I did, and I, I'll share this with your, your listeners, because I think it, it, it's a, a, con, a very different way of raising capital. I would suggest that every single one of your emerging managers creates what I, what I call the Knights of the Round Table. Mm. Take six or eight people uh, that, you know, the best kind of relationships that you possibly can get. And what I said is, some, is simply the following, you know, some 30 years ago is that I'm, you know, I'm embarking on this venture. I know that I can't be objective. I'd like to have, you know, a seasoned set of eyes and ears, you know, double checking my motives to make sure that I'm honest, to make sure that I'd like you to be one of my quote unquote, you know, knights of the round table. Tell me if you think this makes sense. It's incredible, Bridger, how many people are dying to mentor who feel uh, that if you seek their counsel, they are more than happy to give it. 
And the next step is when you feel you have the connectivity and you feel that there's the, you know, the real trust and chemistry, what I've done over the years is I, I've asked each of the nights, you know, if you think I'm ready, would you be happy to make three referrals? So you, right there, you've got 24 people. They, the, it's all a warm referral. It's coming from someone who you think is, you know, carries some leverage. And now the night, if you will, has a vested interest in making sure that these three people sort of meet with you because they sort of got emotionally connected. And you're going through in a very humble sort of approach. It's maybe counterintuitive. I, I, in you know, someone who's like myself has been understanding human nature. It, it not only it works, it's genuine because at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. You know, it's funny you bring that up. My, uh, I, I figured this, I actually did a similar thing with my first fund. I went and found the wealthiest people I could know that I kind of had relationships with. And I asked them to be my mentors. And I said, Hey, That's I'm amazing. coming out with a new fund. I'd love for you to, yeah, exactly. You said, have a seasoned set of eyes to look over this. And everyone loves, especially if you're young, everyone loves to help the young guy or the young gal that's trying 100%. to themselves. And so we sat down, I started, Hey, can I just, can I pitch this to you? And I just want to hear your thoughts. And they would help me refine it actually. And then I said, Hey, what's holding you back from investing. Right. And they give me some more thoughts and I say, okay, I, I think I've fixed everything. And, and a lot right. of them put money in actually. And then they, yeah, gave referrals and we're actually some of my first investors were really easy way to get in the door and actually great, create great uh, connections with people that are a little bit bigger and higher than me that would never really talk about <laughs> in the first place. That's, that's great. Uh, great advice. Anthony, I want to ask you um, about a little bit more deeper into your story. I know we hopped into a bunch of just sure. hot topics, but if you can talk us through your story, um, yep. I, I want to hear how, you know, and, and any up, you know, how you've worked at, you worked at Morgan Stanley with all these athletes and professional and, and working multiple funds and family offices and Harvard yep. and all that kind of stuff. Walk us through your story and how it's kind of progressed and changed over time. Yeah. So I think that the common theme that you'll, you'll see um, throughout my life is I think three things. And then I'll tell you the sort of sequence is I've always taken the road less traveled. Um, because if you, you come at something in, in you know somewhat differently to most, by definition, there's going to be a sense of either this guy's completely whacked or there's a sense of intrigue. The second thing is, <clears throat> is just raw sincerity, raw authenticity. I cannot, I've been to, I don't know how many hundreds of conferences, people talking about in platitudes about, you know, how long have you been here before? What is the weather? It's garbage. No one really cares about those things. Um, so be real, be sincere. And I've learned over the years, and it's a genuine thing, um, and it's worked, is almost every single meeting, I, I try and end the meeting by saying, how can I help you? And, 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 and it, it, just, it just puts people off balance, so people don't really expect that. So um, I think I've had, you know, obviously some, some tremendous breaks, but I've also had um, a, a number of stumbling blocks, and I've always used them, hopefully, as, as stepping stones. So when I was at Harvard Law School, the president at Harvard Law, uh, sorry, the Harvard University, Derek Bach, announced I want to raise a billion dollars uh, for the endowment. I had put together one of the biggest music concerts in South Africa's history, so I knew to put together a music concert. I thought I was a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a colorful character than your average HLS uh, sort of student. And so the vice dean said, Anthony, what could be the contribution of the law school to this billion-dollar uh, campaign? So I thought I've got nothing to lose. 
you know, I guess the word chutzpah is somewhat universal. So I said, I know how to put together a, a music concert. How about doing a music concert in the Harvard football stadium? I came up with this whole marketing idea. From that, by the way, um, that was the catalyst to eventually meet with Larry Tish. I walked into the meeting with Larry Tish and I thought to myself, this guy's worth billions of dollars. He's the CEO of one of the biggest networks in the world. I'm a 20 something year old kid. I, I'm not gonna go there and, and you know grovel for a job. How can I make sure that I'm adding value to this guy? Mm. So I did research on the Nielsen report, saw that NBC and ABC were surpassing uh, CBS based on the fact that they had CBS had lost the youth at the time. Mm. And I presented the idea, I said, Larry, forget this parochial music concert. I'll give you exclusive rights. Let's use the CBS insignia, your logo. Let's do a 1990s Woodstock. And I saw that he could see, one second, I, I knew the creative juices were flowing. That led him to introduce me to Jeffrey Katzenberg, a number of the heads of the studios in, and uh, the founder of CIA in LA, um, which was you know, sort of arriving. And again, I grew up, uh, you know, no connection to the, the movers and shakers. I didn't even grow up in this country. Um, and I think what I did uh, you know, as, when I started off in law was I realized that instead of just being another associate, you know, pushing a pencil around, if I could come up with ideas to bring in new clients as a young associate, it would for sure pique the interest of the managing partner. So I used my connections uh, in South Africa. I came up with certain ideas that we could, you know, help them um, on some of the legal stuff. And then what I did was, I, I and I think this is vitally important to all your listeners, you've got to be true to yourself. And I realized sort of three, five, seven, ten years from here, from now, you know, do I want to be redlining documents or, you know, what are the cards that God has so-called dealt me and what's the best way for me to play them? And I realized that I had some spheres of influence. There was, I pivoted into the sort of <clears throat> Wall Street world, uh, you know, about six, seven years of UBS, Morgan Stanley, the way I built a book of business, I think was very, very different to, to, to most people. Um, I'll give you an example. At UBS, what I did was, I thought, where's a captive audience? Where can I find people that, you know, the idea of cold calling, it just doesn't make, it doesn't, firstly, it's passe today. So I, I've been trained in public speaking and I started getting gigs on cruise ships, on for Kiwanis clubs, for Rotary clubs. And what I, I educated people about ideas in investing in money, but I always spoke about success being more than just money. It was about life and about balance. And about and I thought and I and I, I realized in the in the audience that I was already different. Most people, the average Merrill guy or the guy down the, the street from uh Smith Barney at the time, whatever, were talking about asset allocation, modern portfolio. And here was someone who had a holistic approach, and I it, 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 that connects with people. So it, it was again a very contrarian way of building a book of business. Um, I, I've been very involved in the world of, of, of philanthropy, of sitting on boards, of giving back. That led to me, you know, having some, uh, you know, some, some reasonably uh, high profile relationships, which was, which was the catalyst to me being introduced by one top guy from Goldman to uh, a global macro fund, which was uh, my first experience as a principal um, and later to a, a venture driven fund. Um, and I think that I've always looked around and, and try to figure out what, you know, what are people grappling with? What are problems? That's when I, for example, realized that no one is focusing on helping athletes make a transition. Uh, no, and so I think that that people they 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 
lock themselves into a, uh, a little cubby hole or a little box. And you've got to take a step back and say, you know, what are people struggling with? What are my unique skills? And what's the parity between the two? And the one thing for sure is I never feared failure because I knew there's no one that I know, there's no one, Bridget, that you know, that has achieved success at any level, that hasn't failed, that hasn't, and, and you know, the fear of failure was, you know, was something that I, I, I didn't fear. Um, and I think that what I've come to realize is if you add value to people's lives, if you're genuine, if you're sincere, um, and if you have the ability, which which is crazy and obvious, to say, I don't know. When a person asks you something, just be honest and be humble. There's a lot of people who wing it. And I think just a, a culmination of uh, thinking out of the box, uh, you know, looking for people's pain points and values, uh, not trying to sell, but rather trying to, to make a deposit, um, just being being good to people, and uh, trying to be always be responsive. Small things, you know, when you if you understand that someone's having a tough time with one of their kids, try and figure out how you can add value. It'll come back tenfold uh, in the business world, and I've seen this now. You know, obviously having done this for some time, you know, and and I guess if people could think less myopically and 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 think about it's all about giving and 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 solving problems and finding solutions as opposed to selling it closing it, it just doesn't work because that's transactional as opposed to relationship orientation i love that i think i think that's spot on where where were you born by the way so i was born in johannesburg south africa okay my formative years in south africa um and that's it's a very it's very interesting because i think of myself much more um as i think i have a much more global you know, a, a, much, a much broader way of looking at things. I don't think in parochial terms. Yeah. Um, but I, it's all, at the end of the day, it's all about people. It's all about people. It's about relationships. And the one thing people may not remember what you said in a meeting. They may not remember the kind of asset, the kind of, but they'll remember how they felt. Mm. And if you're sincere and you care, there's there's a deep sense of a kindred connection. And people, as you well said, people want to do business with someone that they feel they connect with, and there's some sense of trust. Uh, and, and that's, I believe, the common denominator between most successful people. That's uh, that's so interesting. It's funny you say that too. The first time we met was in Miami in a small conference room, and I yep. I totally remember how I felt being around you. I, I remember, oh, man, it was just fun. It was just fun being around Anthony Gordon. He's cracking jokes. Making fun, <laughs> I had a porn size. You know, you're just making all sorts of funny <laughs> jokes. So, and that's another uh, thing, Bridget. I'm telling you, humor. People take themselves too seriously. You know. Yeah. It, it, it's and everyone is nervous, and everyone comes to a networking event. You know, with these little shoelaces with their names, and they feel like a dork. You know, it's just it, it's a matter of turning the world upside down. We've all had whacked out experiences, uh, and, and just be real, man. I love it. Now let's talk through what you're doing currently. You mentioned it just a second ago, but you're helping athletes transition. Can you walk us through yeah. what you're doing currently and, and your current business model and, and sure. why you found that niche and how you got into it? So there's, there's a few things I'm doing concurrently in terms of, of specifically that it's an entity that I formed called last the acronym life after sport transition. So here's what happens in the world of high end sport. As soon as the muscles atrophy, uh, they, they're no use to the agent. The agent's a transactional, so he's gone. The business manager doesn't return the calls anymore because you know his source of revenue is gone. But what don't, people don't realize is that you've got a person, and the average guy uh, in the NFL has about a three-year as a three-year career. The NBA is slightly longer. 
these guys are usually have some discretionary capital if they've been successful. Uh, they've been pitched a number of ideas and there's nobody walking them uh, to the next stage. So here's the model in that sort of silo you know, of, of what I do. Replace the revenue that they've lost because they're obviously no longer playing. We, you know, and that is relationships that we've got with major speaking bureaus, with top public relations uh, firms who are looking for um, athletes to be speakers, to be, uh, you know, to represent their brand. Um, <clears throat> we replaced the coach, the sports coach, with a life coach. Why? Because we found that most times where you see front, you know, headline news where an athlete runs into problems is when he's out of schedule, it's during the off season, or if you keep the guy in schedule, a sense of accountability, and that there's somebody that absolutely says, I believe in you, it, it's the, the, you know, the wheels won't come off that, we, you know, we found. Some guys have got robust social media platforms. We help them monetize that with certain technology. Um, and I think most importantly, we get to know the family and we get to get a sense of, you know, three, five, seven years from now, where do you want to be? How do you want to give back? Um, and I will, you know, I said to Manny Pacquiao, if I was, if I walked into a boxing ring within about 60 seconds, maybe two minutes, I'm brain damaged. And I said to Manny, you walk into a boardroom within two minutes, they're going to eat your lunch, you know? So mm -hmm. I just, it's a matter of, you know, anytime someone pitches you, Let's, I'll be the bad guy. Just say, speak to that weird looking guy with a funny accent. And so once you have that trust of a quarterback um, and you've helped people make the transition, you've replaced the revenue, you help them realize this get rich quick is, is you know, is garbage. Um, it becomes by word of mouth because it's a very incestuous community that this, that, you know, this person's different. Uh, they're not trying to get uh, selfies that I want to sign, sign jerseys on my leg. This person really cares. So that's one part of it. Um, the secondly, in, um, in the philanthropy world, I've sort of merged two things together. That is philanthropy and, and successful entrepreneurial ideas. How do you raise dough using out of the box ideas in the 501c3 world? And, you know, having sat on a lot of, uh, large boards, um, you know, we have <clears throat> high end retreats. We, we do things, the worst thing that you can possibly do in the charity world is you know call people and hit them up for a donation. I mean, it's not so they got to feel that you're adding value, that you buy in. So that, that's sort of the mad, the philanthropy entrepreneurial model. Um, and then I'm I'm involved. In, I'm consulting with a full service sort of professional service firm that does everything. With, they've got a deep bench of business management. They do all the accounting, auditing, etc. I don't want to be the guy that executes. I want to be the most important thing. I believe is the relationship. Yeah. So I know what I know what I'm not good at. I know that I don't. I don't want to have a back office. It's not a good use of my time. So I have a you know a, a strategic relationship with um, a group that's primarily um, uh, out of in New York. And then there's a handful of families that I'm very very close to mm. that are looking for you know specific ideas, uh, alternative investments. Um, some is one or two families right now that are looking to purchase uh, soccer teams or football teams for tax and other reasons. So I think at this point in my career, I've sort of tried to hone in on the areas where I can best add value, uh, you know, best leverage the relationships that I've sort of made a lot of deposits in. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it's very much about the quality of life because I, I always remind people, you know, in, in the rat race world that the person who wins the rat race is still a rat. And you've got to be, you got to, you got to be aware of, you know, 
like we, we uh, Bridget, the, the, the conference that you and I met in, it's really about balance. It's really about uh, your relationships, your health. And if you don't have any sense of meaning or purpose in your life, besides if your entire self-worth is synonymous with your net worth, it's going to be a very lonely and scary journey because mm. money comes and goes. Uh, relationships and, you know, the purpose of, of being in this world is something, you know, obviously that has longevity and, and stands the, the test of time. I, I, I love that. I think that's that's right on point. I'm curious too, from your angle, going deeper with working with, you know, successful athletes and, and clients, what have you seen on the outside of money, on the yep. relationship, on their spiritual side of things, where have you seen wealthy families do very well and excel and where have you seen them crack? And what is some, you know, I, we're hoping everybody on this show is going to be one of those families one day and be super wealthy and, and have a great, you know, yep. but a lot of problems come with it. As you've probably seen, what are some things that advice to someone that's, that's maybe going to be, you know, up and coming, or maybe just, maybe just exited their company for a huge sum of money. What would be your yep. advice to them to keep relationships, spiritual and other aspects of their life intact and good? Okay. So here's, here's what I did. I want to get my bearings. It was about seven or eight years ago, maybe yeah, about seven or eight years ago. There was a guy that I met in Zurich. Uh, at the time, according to Forbes, I think his, his net worth is 19 point something billion. Now, everyone's dead scared of this guy. Everyone, everyone's like paying homage. I happened to go to school in South Africa with his wife, his very sweet woman. So I don't, I think Chutzpah has, you know, sort of become my middle name. And hopefully this is going to answer your question. So here's what I did. I took a piece of paper, I drew like a, a half circle. I said, Martin, which is not his name. I said, Martin, when were you born? He said, whatever, 1954. I put a dash next to 1954. And I said, obviously, I hope you have a long and healthy life. I gave him a pen. And I said, assume that's your tombstone. What do you want that to say? So the guy, the blood, literally, I could see it. the guy was ashen. It's the same sort of concept in public speaking that I often do is, Bridger, you're 98 years old. There's 99 candles on the cake. To your right is your beautiful significant other, your family who I've met, your closest buddies, some of the folks that you work with. There's a boom mic uh, that's going around. What do you want them to say about you? So I will tell you that I've been around people that are worth billions and billions of dollars that clearly have ascended up the ladder and it's completely leaning against the wrong wall. They're extremely lonely and it's a very hollow victory. So what I would say to people is <clears throat> get a sense of the following. What's the legacy that you want to leave? Because what you want to leave behind, your name, your values, your traits, the baton that you're going to pass to your kids is it's terrific that they've got money, but they, you know, what, what, what do you stand for? Because if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for anything. You've got to stand for something, otherwise you'll fall for anything. And I saw that, by the way, at your family as well. I can see uh, that the conversations are much broader, you know, than purely financial. So it's uh, the most important thing is, number one, put the big rocks in first, which is your, your relationships, your, uh, the way you treat people, your wife, your kids. Uh, number two, and this is the hardest thing, especially on, you know, in a podcast like this, is you've got to ask your, your, the, the most existential question and, and ask yourself, you know, what's the meaning? Of, what, what's the purpose of this? Because in anyone who's intellectually honest, Bridget, and, I, and I've said this on stage at, at Forbes events, 
no intellectually honest person, at least that I've met, will say, you know, Anthony, here's the, here's the point. The idea is you come down to this earth, you collect as many toys as possible, then you go into a pine box and get eaten by worms. I mean, it's just insane. So people do have some visceral senses and accountability of the kind of life that I've got. So if people, and it's so against pop culture, but if you peel the onion and you ask, you know, what's the reason why I'm here? People will realize very quickly that it's not a mile wide and an inch thick. It's not, it cannot possibly be that your whole, uh, you know, your whole worth is synonymous with your financials. So that's, you know, get a sense of why you're in this world. And so, so put relationships in first, you said the big, and then an understanding of why you're here and making yep. sure that's a priority. Okay. I love it. Sorry. Keep going. Okay. And then the, the, and then the idea is of taking time out to invest in the, your most important relationship, invest in giving back, invest in trying to refine, you know, parts of one's character or one's traits that maybe are raw. Uh, you know, the, the people that I, I've, a lot of athletes over the years who struggle with anger or who struggle with, you know, being narcissistic, find areas that are, that are true accomplishments. People who, you know, whose father figure was a, a belligerent anger, anger person. You don't, you know, you, you can make yourself into the kind of person that you want people to like by refining those parts of your, of your traits, your characters that takes a lot of work. There's nothing, there's nothing uh, that, that makes a person feel uh, more of a sense of courage when, you know, when, they, when, they, when they do those things themselves. I recently spoke at an event and I spoke about the success of Ikea. You know, Ikea is not because it's just terrific furniture at, at a reasonably cheap price. They did research on Ikea. It's actually a Harvard Business School white paper. And they found that, that one of the success of Ikea is the sense of people the accomplishment of doing something themselves. They're putting together a piece of furniture. It's bizarre, Bridger, but when they look back, they have a sense of that little couch. I, I did something to be, you know, to participate. It wasn't handed to me, which is one of the reasons, by the way, and I see this many times where I've been involved in families that are worth billions and they sort of give their kids a trust fund of hundreds and hundreds of millions. And those kids are juvenile delinquents. There's no sense of value. They feel there's no sense of dignity. That's the concept of, you know, take the things that you really, how you want to be remembered, work on the parts that need refining, work on the relationships, which are the most sacrosanct, most important parts of one's life. Uh, take time out to give back. Um, and the, in terms of the money parts, if people trust you, if you made the deposits, if people know that you're authentic, you're 80% of the way there. Hmm. Those are, I, that's, uh, those are wise words. Um, something I, I, I want to emphasize too, I think a lot of people, and I think you can probably speak to this too, I think a lot of people have this disgust for wealthy people right now in their mouth, the eat the rich campaign, all that kind of stuff. And it, it is true, there are nasty, wealthy people, but I, in my experience, I mean, maybe you can, I may, I may be different in your experience. I've seen a lot of wealthy people who have the wealth, but they also have great families and great relationships yep. and they have a healthy body and they, they have, they have seemingly mastered almost every aspect of their life. Now, some yep. others haven't done that, but I I've actually seen more often than not that they, they actually have been, they've actually done what you're saying. They've gone and, and thought through those harder questions and, and deposited in relationships and family and kids and actually have, have great kids that are doing great things. 
has you have you seen a similar experience or is what's kind of percentage of wealthy people have you seen is it corrupt them or does it make them good and better and they do incredible things with their wealth what what have you seen in your experience so it's amazing i happen to have a conversation with someone who's at the same conference that you, where you and i met and here was my observation most of the people at this conference were from salt lake city utah i saw a incredible sense of balanced people that were focused with put the big rocks in first it's, it's very different to the conferences that I saw in Silicon Valley. So I'll give you a statistical fact. There are more shrinks per capita in Silicon Valley than any other location in the United States. I think the, you know, I think the subtext is clear. All the money in the world is certainly not going to buy you happiness. And the, <clears throat> this idea of, you know, out Lamborghiniing and out ferrari the guy next to you is, <clears throat> you know, is a, it's a very insidious and uh, it's a very superficial uh, life. They all realize it's amazing, Richard, because I walk in there. I think I'm an unpretentious guy. I'm a little bit different because I happen to be an Orthodox Jewish guy and I walk in there with a Frisbee on my head and, and I, you know, very different. to my, I think that people get a sense of like when I, a call comes in and it's one of my kids and I said, you mind, you know, the guy's worth $25 billion. The things that money cannot buy are the real sense of one's true wisdom, one's true happiness, one's true longevity. To answer your question, it's very interesting. I think that by and large, I've seen that wealthy, the wealthy people that I deal with are good folks. They care. Uh, a lot of them in, you know, in the quietness of a meeting will say, Anthony, I'm not a genius. I've had, a trim, I've had some good breaks. Um, you know, it's the guys that try and show that, you know, it's my unique, when push comes to shove, be humble, realize you had the breaks. The guy that was sitting right next to you could have had the same break. So I think that that the folks that have the humility and the folks that don't hoard, the folks that want to give back, the folks that realize it's by the grace of God and the truth of the matter is they're just the conduit and they're the shepherd. Or, or, you know, God can choose anyone. Um, they're usually the balanced people. I've seen a disproportional uh, dysfunctionality in, in super well people in Silicon Valley, frankly. The subculture there is, I think, is not that healthy. Um, it used to be a lot in the New York culture that I was part of, you know, because New York has changed so much. I don't see that. Uh, I, what I'm seeing today a lot is people really want to make a difference. People want to give. People, um, you know, I think uh, maybe it's because we've just been through the most challenging year in most of people's lives. And there's people have been humbled. And, you know, it, it's impossible coming out of a pandemic, uh, you know, not just have done some reflection and say, one second, you know, I've seen people around me either disappear, become ill. It shook up a lot of people. So I, I, will, I will tell you that what I've, what, what, what I've seen with a lot of wealthy people, which is the saddest thing is loneliness. And I think they then realize that, you know, that, the, that really the most precious things in the world, money cannot buy. Interesting. Yeah, that's <laughs> more shrinks per capita in Silicon Valley. I didn't know that. That's pretty wild. That's yeah. Um, <laughs> Anthony, I want to ask you just a final couple final closing questions. I know you got to run in just a minute. Um, number one yep. is where can people go to learn more about you? I know you've got a, a fantastic podcast, fantastic show. You've yep. got a ton of stuff, but give us a few links and places where people can go sure. to find out more about you. So, the, okay. The Anthony Gordon show, which was started a couple of years ago, um, you know, as somebody's on the speaking circuit, what I realized is that I want to, is that I've been blessed to be into, I think, some of the, you know, some of the best known educational institutions. And I did not learn about life, 
wisdom and how to navigate the vicissitudes of life at Oxford or Harvard. It, they don't teach that. So I realized that life wisdom and some of the tools to navigate through the landmines of life are just not out there. So of years and years of developing content, uh, and a lot of it is faith-based. A lot of it is because I've, you know, I've been, uh, I've done a number of, uh, of courses on life coaching. I come from a family that's in, in, in my late mom is a well-known therapist. Um, so you'll see embedded in my podcast, a lot of, if you will, the GPS for life to help hopefully ignite a, 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 a little bit of a spark in a dark world. Um, <clears throat> you will see, uh, so that's number one. Um, one thing I don't say, and I think I said this to you uh, at the event, you know, I don't hold myself up publicly. I happen to take rabbinical ordination as a purely intellectual exercise because uh, I really wanted to take, you know, hit the highest possible. Um, so my Hebrew name, which it's a very guttural name, so I think that, we, you know, I give a, a free frisbee to anyone who can say the word Hanan. But if you look at rabbihananggordon.com, uh, you'll see a lot of my public stuff. You'll see years and years of, of uh, a lot of stuff on, um, you know, workshops, retreats, stuff like that. Um, I am right now, uh, I just signed an NDA, so I'm not supposed to say I'm in the middle of writing a book. It's going to be, I'm told, going to be coming out in June, uh, and it's going to be coming up with Simon and Schuster in about June. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot of exciting things ahead. And I will say as someone who's been through, uh, you know, what you've been through, I wanted to give a shout out to you. And I'll tell you, I thought about this before the show. And I thought it was actually one of the topics of, of one of your episodes. What you're doing, Bridget, is an amazing thing. And I'll tell you why. For some reason, people in the hedge fund world want to keep this mystique, want to keep the fact that, you know, you, as you said, I think in your preamble, you have to have gone to Harvard. You have to, you know, either have three houses in Greenwich and a yacht in the south of France. What you're doing, which I think is fabulous, is you're giving people paint by number you know, methodologies and you're making it user-friendly. I think that's absolutely fantastic. It is threatening to certain people because for their own self-aggrandizement and this, you know, and their need to be elite, uh, you're making you make it much more accessible. But I think it's absolutely fantastic what you're doing. Um, and <clears throat> I think that at the end of the day, it's everyone should earmark a certain amount of the capital to, into the alternative space. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm very biased into the hedge fund world. Um, so I think what you're doing is fantastic, but I also think what you're doing, just having just heard a few episodes, um, is that you are your your style is very is not an interview; it's a discussion. You're very engaging. It's very um, you know it's 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 not about the you know the highest possible IRR sharp ratio. It's a much more holistic approach. So I think that I think that's very very healthy because otherwise people think of the hedge fund world as this pedagogical academic laboratory it's about people it's about relationship it's a business so i think that you're doing terrific things well, um well thank you anthony and it's it's been a pleasure having you on i want to ask you finally the last we got two minutes left let's say i want to open the mic you got the free mic i what is your advice to the next generation of entrepreneurs or fund managers or just people living in america what is something you would like to leave with this group that's listening today, you got the open mic for, you know, two, maybe three minutes. What's your best advice to, to distill on the next generation of people coming through the business world? Okay. So firstly, I would say the following. I speak to a ton of people that say, Anthony, you know, I'd love to develop this business idea. I'd love to get involved in this, but you know, you don't understand. I, you know, I'm some kid uh, that lives on in some small town in, in, uh, you know, North Carolina. I don't have 
there's a there's an optical illusion out there that there's suddenly the right time where Warren Buffett calls you, you get an inheritance. That's never ever gonna that's never ever gonna happen in every single one of our lives. And I've spoken at I think by now it's fair to say to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. Every person that I speak to says, Anthony, you, you're great. You, you've got a funny accent. You're a cool guy, but you don't get it. There's a storm in my life. You know, I, I, my, my folks just got divorced or I'm trying to get into it. My friends, I'm here to tell you there's a storm in every single one of our lives that every listener and every one of you has got some thorn in your side, has got something that's bothering you and the one piece of wisdom I'd like to leave you with is that we're not in this world to wait for the storm to subside. We had a dance in the rain, meaning you've got to take the cards that you've been dealt. It's an optical illusion to wait for this Nirvana moment when the dust's going to be quiet. You're going to hear the chirping uh, of the crickets. A beautiful, it's, that is in the movies. In life, you've got to take uh, the, the challenges that you've got. You've got to take the imperfections. You've got to take that the world is not perfect that people, that it's not fair, that people who are not necessarily the nicest people, you know, sometimes get the breaks. Forget your next door neighbor, forget the person behind you, forget people who are telling you you should be X. You take some time, figure out what are your best assets? Where do you want to be three, five, seven years from now? What do you want people to be saying about you when you turn 99? Don't wait for the perfect Nirvana. It'll never happen dance in the rain, take your skills, and you'll look back in your life, you'll be better for it, you'll live a more wholesome and richer life, and most importantly, I think you'll have a, a happier and more meaningful life. Wow, I love it. We just end right there. Anthony, thank you so much again. The Anthony Gordon Show, go check it out. Um, find Anthony online, all the stuff. We'll pro- put the links below. Thank you again so much, Anthony, for coming on. Anytime, Bridget. You're a good man. Keep up the good work. You too. Thanks, man. See ya. Cheers. Hey, what's going on? Wasn't that awesome? So what we've done is made a Facebook group that is free to the public. You've got to opt in and join it, but I go live in there every single Wednesday to walk through your questions, do live Q&A and walk through new topics. So if you want to connect with me, want me to answer your questions directly, join our Facebook group. It's Investment Fund Secrets. If you go online, you'll see it. We have a private group for our mastermind members. It's not that one. It's our free group. You guys can hop in, get questions answered, meet other people starting funds and, and join our Investment Fund Secrets family. If you guys are interested, Go to Facebook Investment Fund Seekers. I'll see you guys inside.